So glad that you joined us today. I want to invite you after the service to hang out in the cafe area. Uh, rumor is that there's some hot chocolate in there and some coffee. And um, there's also uh, some opportunities for you to connect in ministry. It's funny. Uh, I had a sibling who went to a movie this last week and uh, they were about 10 minutes into the movie and they realized it was the wrong movie uh, that the person was showing. Um, and, and I want to remind you, I use that illustration all of the time that we're actually more like the people who are putting all the movie that are working in the theater, if we use this illustration of what church is supposed to be about, that we get the privilege of being a part of what's happening, not just sitting back and watching the show. In fact, uh, I want to challenge you this morning that the great news is as we participate in what God's doing, that actually he can change our lives. You guys know that it's the season of resolutions, right? Um, if you've turned on a TV in the last three days, you know that every commercial is either for some form of workout equipment, uh, a diet plan. I think it's always funny on the diet plans that they show like plates of bacon and eggs and big food. And it's like, and you will lose 100 pounds, you know? Uh, it's, it's amazing. In fact, um, you guys have heard this. You know this. In the season of resolutions that um, there's a big percentage of them that won't be accomplished, that we'll make resolutions, we'll write those goals down, and we will uh, not change too much in our life. That's some of us. And I think for some of us, there's a cynicism that can kick in. We're like, yeah, I'm probably not going to do that this year. Not even going to try. Not going to focus in on that. Kind of that Popeye, I am what I am, you know, uh, like take me for what I am. And then I think that there's a group of people that are in the world right now that will sell us or attempt to sell us on the fact that we can change radically without doing anything about it. And what I mean by that is some, think of some of those exercise things that are sold or have been sold over the years. You guys remember the, the vibrator stick that you just hold on to and you instantly have like Arnold Schwarzenegger arms, right? Or the, you guys, some look, why are you looking at me funny? Some of you bought one. I know you did. Um, there was what I read about this. This was in the 90s, I believe it was. And it was the all silver sweatsuit that did not allow any heat to come out of your body so you could just sweat the pounds away, but people were passing out because they were getting dehydrated, right? So the, the idea, and they sell this, is that you can change, but you don't have to do anything about it. You, you can change if you just get the right thing then your life can be changed. And I'll just challenge you. I, I love the, the deep wisdom of the author of Princess Bride where the, the loose quote is, a life is pain, your highness. And if they, if they don't tell you that, then they're trying to sell you something, right? You guys understand it, right? So we, we know that change, for some of us, we can be cynical about it. For others of us, it can be underestimated as to what needs to happen in order to change. But I wanna celebrate with you this morning as we turn our hearts to God's word, that God desires for us to change and to become stronger. His desire for us, we're going to see it almost a half dozen times in the section of scripture that we're going to study in 1 Corinthians today, that he's going to say to us, build up the church, build up the body of Christ, build up the body. It has nothing to do with this kind of building up. You guys see this image? We found this at my house the other day. Um, that's not the kind of building up that we're talking about. We're actually talking, okay, we'll get rid of that swipe. My wife was like, you left that up too long in the first service uh, because it's awkward. Yes, that was not me, okay? But build up 
The idea in scripture that we see the Apostle Paul challenging us in is he's going to say to us that we have the privilege and responsibility to be a part of building up, making stronger, establishing what God's doing in this community to bring himself glory and honor. We have the privilege of establishing worship to the God that we just sang to a few minutes ago. That is our hope, our living hope, that we have the ability to build up this thing that God has designed to establish his glory in Brunswick and beyond. And that is the body of Christ. And as a person who's given the privilege to be a part of that, today as we study God's word, I want you to remember from the beginning that you can get stronger. And we, we had this experience in Southern California when we lived there that we lived uh, about 20 miles away from a tw almost 12,000 foot mountain that was close by. So uh, what was incre incredible about that particular mountain is it could be 100 degrees in our community where we lived in Southern California. And after hiking several hours, you could actually play in the snow up there. It was pretty cool. But um, what we did often is that we used that to help train for, I've shared with you some of the trips that we did to go into the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And so this particular hike, we'd have students put backpacks on their backs that carried 30, 40 pounds. And um, we, would, we would start this ascent. And I can remember, it did not matter how physically fit someone looked before. You, you know you can look physically fit and not be physically fit. You guys know that? Um, it didn't matter how, how much you looked physically fit beforehand. I guarantee you that almost everyone who started that hike, because the ascent was so quick, that they thought they were going to die. The second time that they did it, they thought they were going to die, but it was just a little bit less. Then the third time when you did that hike, you started noticing the flowers and the birds and the deer that are frolicking. And your, your body, after being broken down, you think of the tearing of muscles. And then as they restore, the way God invented us, designed us, that in the restoration process, what's the phrase? If it doesn't kill you, it makes you what? Well, well that's what happens. And what's amazing about it is through the training process, what you thought was going to kill you can potentially make you so much stronger. And when we took those students to the Grand Canyon to hike down and to hike back up, every year about 12 people die doing that hike in the Grand Canyon. So it was a matter of life and death. But what we did was we were strong enough to experience what we needed to. When it comes to the body of Christ, I want to encourage you as we study and continue to study 1 Corinthians that we call this series the prodigal church partially because we believe that that story was very similar to what happened in the church, the story of the prodigal son, that God has given to us his blessings. He set in front of us the banqueting table of an heir that he wants us to experience. We're his children. But what we can choose to do if we ignore his goodness, if we do matters in our own way, if we choose to ignore his provision and blessing, we can find ourselves looking at the slop to the pigs and say, that, that's what I'm, I'm satisfied, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to access instead of the banqueting table that God's given us. And when it comes to the ability to grow spiritually, when it comes to the work that God wants to do with us, God knows our hearts. We're going to see this today in his word. We're going to see 
why we say amen in the middle of sermons, and I do this with you, you're going to see that. We're going to see as we study God's word together today, the fact that it's our natural tendency to see the miraculous, to see the show, the spectacle. You can remember on a New Year's Eve a couple of years ago, or a long, long time ago, I was in Hawaii with my family, my parents, and we were on a plane when the clock struck 12, and there were fireworks going off, and uh, it was incredible. It was an amazing night. So you're on the islands, and you can just see all this. It was a spectacle, and I remember seeing everybody in that plane just were all looking out the windows because it's so fun to see. And I think that there's that natural tendency inside of us to want the spectacle, but actually what we're going to see in God's word and what the Apostle Paul's going to challenge us, us in today is that we actually just need to do the hard work. We need to be a part of what God's doing. We need to join him in his handiwork. And in that process, we actually get a front row seat to see God do mighty and wonderful, powerful things. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to pick up where we left off before the Christmas season. And we're going to pick up in verse, um, or chapter 14, beginning in verse, um, verse 1. We're going to see a description that God has for us of our job. And I'll just remind you, in other passages of Scripture, like Ephesians 4, it says that it is our job to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Why has God given us the gifts that he's given us to do the work of the ministry? And then the Apostle Paul goes on to say this, reminding us that each and every one of us has work to do. He says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding. Again, that phrase that we're going to see multiple times, half dozen times here. Their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Let me remind you this morning that God expects us to do the work of the ministry. God expects us to be a part of what he's doing. In James, it says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer of God's word. I love the way that Linsky puts it. She says, gifts are the hands through which love serves. And so when we connect with chapter 13, the love chapter that we celebrate, he reminded us that God gave us gifts. In the process of giving us gifts, one of the things that we recognize is in the church, there was a special gift that was happening, especially in this church, and it was called tongues. We, we know that tongues was established in Acts chapter 2. You remember the story that there were people who were coming to the, um, the gathering of believers at the earliest time. They were individuals that did not all share the same language. And in a beautiful reversal of what happened at Babel, they were able to articulate language in such a way. That's literally what the word tongues means. They were able to articulate in such a way, simple truth, powerful truth that allowed people to understand the gospel, to receive the message of the gospel. And do you remember what scripture said? The Lord added daily those who were being saved. And so there was a clear message that was communicated. I'll just tell you this multiple times this morning, that the God that, that we worship and that we serve wants to be and expects to be understood. 
That, that he is not so um, elusive that we, we can't find him. He, he's crystal clear. It's not a mystery. And, and so when, when the Apostle Paul brings this up, he's communicating to a group of people who are really excited about this gift. And they wanted to experience this gift. And Paul is not going to diminish the gift of tongues in that church. He's going to say, actually, I have received that gift. That's a, something that is a part of my life. But I want to clarify that when we talk about hearing the voice of God, understanding God, the experience is so much less important than the clear understanding of the truth. And, and, I, and I read this and I look at this and I say, we're all tempted by that. We love the, the miraculous. We, we love the manifestation of God's power. We love seeing him at work. But there's a challenge for us in this, and that is ultimately they were ignoring the very things that they needed to do to obey and honor the Lord. They were disobeying his teachings when it came to purity, the way they were spending their money, how they were using their resources, how they were neglecting and overlooking people in their congregation. So, so this challenge here is he, when he says, this about lungs, loves, um, about gifts, he's saying, first, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy or clearly understand and articulate the truth that God would say. For one who speaks in the tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he mutters mysteries in the spirit. So there's this, this interesting moment where he's saying, in the church, what God expects to be in the church is not distracted from, but to be clearly understood. In verse 3, it says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding. Look at these three statements. This is wonderful. It says, for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. These are three things that I think we desperately need these days. The first word, upbuilding, is a term that we sometimes translate as edification, being built up, equipped in order to do the work of the ministry. The second um, is translated encouragement. And I, I love this, unpacking this word. It's reminding us of our purpose and our calling, that there's something more significant that we're supposed to be a part of. And then finally, our consolation. That's not a word we use often. I think it's helpful to see this as encouragement, or as comfort. You know, I think we're drawn to the spectacular demonstrations that get our attention, but we must not ignore the value of clear truth that is intended to change our lives. I love the way that Thomas Aquinas uh, puts this when he quotes Augustine, when he says this, all sacred scriptures should be read in the spirit in which they were written. In them, therefore, we should seek food for our souls rather than subtleties of speech. And we should as readily read simple and devout books as those that are lofty and profound. Do not be influenced by the importance of the writer and whether his learning be great or small. I want to stop there for a second. I, I, I sometimes will interact with someone and they'll say, I'll ask them about their faith story when they became a believer and they'll share about the evangelist who was, was speaking when they accepted Christ. And for some, maybe that person no longer walks with the Lord. And so they say it with an emphasis on the messenger misunderstanding that it's all about the message of the gospel. Do you understand? And so, so the confusion there and what he's saying here is we recognize that the authority comes from the word, but let the love of pure truth draw you to read. Do not inquire who said this, 
but pay attention to what is said. That's what I think Paul is emphasizing here. He says this in verse four. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue um, builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So four times here, that phrase, be built up, edified, strengthened, equipped, empowered, that that process is something that comes from rightly understanding truth. So, so when there were tongues that were spoken in ways that were not translated, people didn't understand it. It actually can potentially distract from intimacy and understanding God. And that's the last thing he wants to have happen. It is actually that he wants to draw attention to what it means for us to be a part of what God wants to do. This leads to the second point this morning, and that is building up the body of Christ is all of our responsibility. Bad news, you're not off the hook on this one, right? It's not just my job to do this. It's all of our responsibility. He says this in verse six. This is great. He gives us a powerful illustration. He says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking, I hate this phrase because this is my, this is the way I pray every Saturday night, every Sunday morning. Lord, when I preach, would it not just be words going into the air, you know? Would, would, it, would it be relevant? Would it connect with our hearts, would you change us through our understanding of the truth of your word? This is, this is why we're here. This is why this is not a waste of time. But his description, he uses the, the illustration of an instrument that plays notes that are beautiful. They also think, think of the before the times of cell phones and walkie-talkies and amplification, that the horn was a call to battle or in the midst of battle, sometimes a call to retreat. And if it does not have distinct tones, then that does not communicate any information. We had this experience. When we lived in Southern California, all our family lives in Ohio. We loved the times when we could get on a plane and fly to Ohio. But one of my daughters, my youngest, she had a real fear of tornadoes. I have no idea why. So um, she was convinced that if she came to Ohio, she was going to be stuck in a tornado. Now, if you guys were going to California, you'd be afraid of earthquakes, right? So apparently, she's a California girl by birth, and so she came to Ohio. She said in the plane multiple times, mom and dad, I'm so worried about tornadoes. And I'm thinking, I lived there for 20 years, never experienced. Well, we get to this family reunion that was at Ludlow Falls in southeast, southwest Ohio, and we're staying in this old wooden shack, 
And um, at like midnight, it, there is this huge storm, lightning's hitting all over the place. And then you can just hear the sirens go off. And so in our pajamas, we gather our stuff and we, we at least knew this part. You go to where the cinder block is and the plumbing. And so me and my, all my mom's family are stuck in this bathroom awkwardly trying to weather this storm as, as this is happening around us. It was, and the, the sirens are going off and it was just, it was just a terrible experience. My little daughter's just like glaring at me the whole time. Like, you know, come on dad. And um, over some time, the director of the camp ended up driving in his golf cart over to the place where we were all sheltering in place. And he said, oh, oh, you guys don't need to do that. There's no tornado. It's, it's all fine. That's just how we notify the volunteer fire department in our community. Oh, oh, thanks. Thanks a lot, right? So, so apparently they hadn't heard of uh, cell phones in that community, but that alarm was just to let people know who are volunteers in the fire department to head over to where the fire was. Now, I, I want you to catch the distinction, and that is we've all been trained when that siren goes off and it's not noon or whatever time that, that we ought to act, right? We need to move. We need to do something. It's been clearly intended to provoke us to action. And in that case, it didn't reach the point, right? I want to challenge you this morning that this whole thing, church, studying God's word together, those classes, everything about this has the potential of being a waste of time if we aren't truly listening to the things that God wants to do to build up and establish the strength of his church. If we ignore the fact that God has something that he's saying to us, we can miss out the responsibility that God has for us. In verse 10, it goes on to say, but I said earlier, that God intends to be clearly understood. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. This is what happened in Acts, that, that people who did not know each other, did not share the same culture and heritage and language through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, they actually could call themselves brothers and sisters through the work of God. What a miracle, what a blessing. We celebrate that. One of my friends is a pastor and he is deaf. Um, he has trouble communicating. He can hear some, um, but, but one of the things that I love about his story is that his wife loves him so much. She is not deaf herself, but she's learned sign language so that she can understand him more intimately. You understand? So, so she wants to maintain that connection. In this context, what he's saying is, supernaturally, we are, we are people who, when we don't share the same language, don't have that natural connection with one another. Praise the Lord for the way that the gift of tongues has worked in times in history. But when we read this, what he's saying here is that he's saying God's intention is for clarity. He says in verse 11, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit. Let's pause there for a second. I think we all are. I think we all want to see God do great things. We want to see, when we pray together on Wednesday nights, I want to invite you 
as we kick off the new year to join us on Wednesday night. Those times have been really special. We expect God to answer prayers and we see him at work. And at times it's miraculous. At other times we keep praying because we say, God, we want to honor you in our lives. So sometimes it's, it's uh, miraculous manifestations of the spirit. But, but then there's other times, um, because he says that they're eager for it, he says, strive to excel in building up the church. We see that word again. It's hard work. It's our commitment. It's our conviction. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful." This whole message is a gentle reminder to us that this whole thing that we do on Sunday mornings, this whole commitment that we make to, to call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ, it ought to be producing change in our life that allows us not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. So church done right is not a waste of time. It takes strangers and it makes them brothers and sisters. It it allows us to worship the one true God. Church done right is not a waste of time, but an opportunity to hear the very voice of God. Believe that this is what God wants us to do. And I think the Corinthian church that we're studying was tempted to shut their ears to truth because they enjoyed listening to the spectacle, the powerful tongues, more than hearing their weakness, their sin exposed, their duties pointed out in plain, rational language. It's essential for us to understand that God has work for us to do. The expectation is that we join him, that we invest our gifts for his glory. Then I believe that we grow, we're built up when we listen and understand truth. Verse 15 says this, what am I to do? I pray, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? You know, the word amen isn't the closing of our prayer um, that, that we say for dinner all of the time, but it actually means so be it. Let it be. I'm in agreement with this. So, so when I say, and all God's people said, amen, uh, it's like you guys signing the contract, right? We're, we're in agreement. Let it be so. Let's, let's experience this together. And so when he says this as a description, he's saying, how can people who don't understand what's being said say that they agree with it? Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So, so here, Paul is not rejecting this gift, but he's saying to them that it is not as significant or as helpful, or it doesn't need to be pursued with the same pursuit as those that help to build up and establish the church. Verse 19, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. The, the math is not well, does not bode well for the, just emphasizing the miraculous without seeing God's mighty hand at work through his clear teaching of his word. The, the third point this morning is we strive to see God receive the worship that he deserves. I love 
the phrase in John 4, 24, that it says that we worship him in spirit and in truth. Verse 20 says this of Acts 14. It says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. It says, grow up. Yeah, pretty blunt. Grow up. But then he, I love the way he says this, but be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. This is a very interesting phrase. He's saying, even with all the miraculous works that are happening, some people are still going to ignore the mighty hand of God. Verse 22, thus tongues are signed not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or believers or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and if an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. And then in verse 25, it says this, the secret of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I, I love that the same God that can take Zacchaeus, a man who was blatantly running against the God of the universe and humble him his heart and soften him and enter into fellowship with him, bring, bring life into darkness. The same God that can take Mary Magdalene who saw her life radically changed by the love of Christ to where she anoints his feet in a way that is worthy of his praise. That he can take those of us who are broken and give us the opportunity to give him praise and glory and honor. That, that's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of being a worshiper that includes others in worship. And John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, articulates the simple statement that evangelism exists because worship doesn't. And when we think about the community that's around us, part of what we want to do is we want to see our neighbors worship our God. We want to see those who are in our community find living hope in the God of the universe. The song that we sang earlier today talks about him being the source of our hope, where we find hope. There's lots of options out there to try to find hope in. Uh, I recognize that, that, that they fall short of what he has the opportunity of providing. So evangelism exists because worship doesn't. And we want to see people worship the God that we serve. I love the way that he, that he describes this in verse 25. And I want to reread it because I believe it gives us insight into what God offers a world that desperately needs him. The deepest need of every individual. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. It reminds me of the woman at the well that wanted to deceive those who were around her. Um, that she was hiding and the Lord Jesus pierced her heart, knowing her story. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on their face, they will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Brothers and sisters, I pray this. We, we, there's a group of us that pray every Sunday morning in preparation for these services, that we pray that those of you who join us online, that come into our services, that you would truly encounter the living God. The God that wants to speak to us in a way that is clear. 
the God that is incredibly relevant in a world that is broken, a God who doesn't say to us that you have to stay the way that you are or that, that you can change without, without doing anything, but instead that says there is work for us to do. We have the privilege of joining God in what he's doing to bring himself glory and honor, but the way that we are today is not the way that we always have to be. So I want to challenge you. Would you join me in resolving in 2022 to join God in what he's doing to bring himself glory and honor in Brunswick and beyond? Will you join me in that? Will you join me in committing ourselves to saying, God, we want to represent you accurately to a world that's around us, that when they see us, we don't want them to peek in and see confusion or ignorance, but instead we want them to see truth. We want them to see lives changed. We want them to understand that we worship a living God. Are you in? You want to join us in that? Will you join me in saying that, that this is what it means for us to say amen together? Is that we're saying we are heading in the same direction, desiring to see his name exalted. Why? Because we believe that evangelism exists because worship doesn't in our community. We want people to find true hope in the living God. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. I thank you for 1 Corinthians that um, I, I, I hesitate even when we call it the prodigal church. Somebody asked, why do we have an image of an upside down church? I, I think it's because of the fact that it's just such a mirror for me of the temptations that are in my life to settle for the mundane, to ignore your truth, to allow things to be on my own terms and not on your terms. And I just pray for each one of us that we would understand the spirit of this letter, that Paul's writing it to a group of people that he loves because he believes that they can change and they can be a part of what God wants to do in that precious community of Corinth, that that confused community of Corinth, that, that community of Corinth that was worshiping everything that was around them, their sensuality, their gifts, their advancement, their wisdom, their knowledge, and, and yet missed out on worshiping the one true God. Would we be people who join you in what you're doing to bring yourself glory and honor? And all God's people said, amen. amen.